0: Exodus 31, 1-7, King James Version. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of worksmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass, and in cutting of stones to set them, and in carving of timber to work in all manner of worksmanship. And behold, I have given with him Oholiab, the son of Ahisamech of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. The tabernacle of the congregation and the ark of the testimony And the mercy seat that is thereupon, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. Could it actually be that you were called to create? In Exodus, God ordains the wise hearted ones to create the tabernacle, an incredibly beautiful and intricate place of worship and community formation designed by God and fashioned by hand-picked artisans. Join us for this six-week study exploring the spectacular effort of God's chosen people in an art project of magnificent scope. It takes the entire community of makers, craftspeople, leaders, administrators, teachers, and patrons all working together under the leadership of artists to fulfill God's command. Build a dwelling place for the Spirit of God. Neither Moses nor priests, warriors nor politicians were qualified to lead the task. This time, artists are called by name, filled with the Spirit, and charged to lead God's people. Come discover the original call of the artist and reconsider your creative gifting in the light of the wise-hearted ones. So I am so excited to start this story of the wise hearted ones. I have been researching and working on and thinking about and praying about this story in Exodus probably for 2 years now. And it's such a rich, amazing almost never be to- never before told story. <laughs> so I'm so excited to be able to dig into this with other people. In Exodus There's this story hidden within a story. Sandwiched in between Moses on Mount Sinai, receiving the Ten Commandments and the glorious images of the Israelites carrying the Ark of the Covenant through the desert, is a story about art and artists, design and makers. Now, I'm sure you're probably familiar with the story of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on top of Mount Sinai. At least, I'm sure you've seen an image somewhere of Charlton Heston in a fake beard receiving these big, huge stone tablet things. The light of God shines from you, Moses. Do not kneel to me, Joshua. These tablets of stone. The writing of God. And... Maybe you remember the Ark of the Covenant and all that craziness from the Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> and probably you've heard the story of the Golden Calf and that great debacle. But I don't think I've ever heard of a movie about what happens in between all of that. And really, it's it's no wonder. The section of Exodus that I'm talking about is kind of like the director's cut on an award-winning film You know, like, I mean, most people skip over the commentary on the backstory, understandably, because it sounds something like this. They shall make a breastplate and an ephod and a robe and a broidered coat, a mitre and a girdle, and they shall make holy garments for Aaron, thy brother, and his sons. Which reminds me of this guy that I knew in high school. So I was a part of the drama crowd. And before school, every day, we kind of like hang out on the steps outside the theater You know, just being our wonderful, weird selves together. And J.J. was this guy who dressed all in black, always wearing Doc Martens, trench coat, heavy eyeliner. You get the picture. J.J. was this large, imposing presence with a deep, resonant voice. And occasionally he would treat passersby to one of his many talents— J.J. had this reputation for being able to read from the telephone book in a way that was so moving, it would make people cry. At least that's the story. I don't ever remember being moved to tears, but some people swore that he had at least once made someone cry with his eloquence as he read off names and phone numbers. I always wondered if I could do that with those genealogy lists in the Bible— I'd love to try it sometime because in the midst of what seems like dry details are actual people and lives, and in the midst of these dry lists about materials and labor is an incredible story. Here, hidden in Exodus, in these 11 chapters of detail and lists, we makers and artists find the root of our calling— It's a story about art and artists, design, and makers. This is the story of the wise-hearted ones, the ones who were called by name and by heart to construct the tabernacle. See, God wanted more than anything to be with His people, and His people needed Him to be with them more than anything. They needed a a permanent place where they knew they could approach God and worship. And God always had a plan to give it to them. But this was not going to be any ordinary sanctuary or church building. This house of worship was actually designed entirely by God himself, with a level of rich attention to detail that is unparalleled by even the pickiest designer— I mean, keep in mind, it only takes four chapters for God to give Moses the Ten Commandments, but it takes 11 chapters of intricate instruction to convey God's plans for the tabernacle. I mean, that's some design. So what was the deal? Well, this structure was far more important than what we think of as a worship space— For one thing, the tabernacle was supposed to be in constant use and not just for community worship. This was the seat of governance and judgment. Disputes would be settled here. The high priest Aaron would make decisions for all of the tribes. History would be made and shared in this space. And most importantly, this is where the Israelites would meet with God daily, Feasts, festivals, and rituals would be held. The priests would constantly inhabit it and and care for the space, for the offerings of the people. Being in such a space, day after day, was intended to give form and rhythm to their lives. And the aesthetic structure would shape their imaginations about the nature and character of God and the nature and character of God's love for His people. So, see, these lists are an outline of the drama and pageantry and ritual and beauty with which God would woo His people, keep them close, allow them to feel His presence. While the law was the governing structure for God's people, the tabernacle was the aesthetic structure that would hold them together as God's people. The intricacy and ornateness of the tabernacle represents the kind of home in which God's people would dwell. It, it served to keep their memory fresh and to keep the well-being of the people always in front of those who led and ruled. This was the creative work of the tabernacle— not just to make a, a place worthy of God's inhabiting, but a place that would draw forth from this people a sense of who God was. Not only that it would elicit worship, but that it would it would give them a sense of who they were by being in its presence. If If being in God's presence would naturally draw forth our deepest selves, our intended selves— then the tabernacle was designed by God in such a way that it would do this as if we were in his presence to the capacity that any created thing could. You could think of the tabernacle as the precursor to the perfect embodiment of God in Jesus. This tabernacle was designed to communicate who God was and who God's people were to be through created structures. Up on that mountain, Moses received more than two stone tablets. He got blueprints. Now, when an architect is designing a building, they're thinking about more than steel and concrete and glass. It's not enough that a house or an office appears where there once was none. Ultimately, they're designing a structure to solve a problem. It's a way to help people live their lives more humanely. Proverbs even has a saying about this. Proverbs 24, 3-4 says, By wisdom, a house is built, and through understanding, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. What goes in, what surrounds us, how we curate our lives, is ultimately what shapes us. This is how God sees the function of design— And we can see it all around us in the framework of nature when we open our eyes and we're just aware of the world around us. We see the trees and the flowers and the grass and mountains, and it draws us into a sense of awe because these things are designed to draw our attention to their Creator. This is the framework that God has given us to to inhabit. And when we do it well, we do that in our public structures and even in our homes, I remember when we were decided to renovate our, our kitchen and our little living room, we came up with a list of all the words that sort of felt the way we wanted the space to feel. And we ended up with the urban cottage beach, beach retreat, urban cottage beach retreat. And that was the sense that we wanted. And and somehow that intention helped us to make decisions even down to the littlest details of, of tile or throw pillows or lighting fixtures because we were designing a space that would help us to feel a certain way when we entered into the room. And that's what God was doing with the tabernacle. In these 11 chapters in Exodus, God is designing a way for his people to live in happiness and wholeness with him, and he uses intricate beauty to do it. The ornateness of the tabernacle reflected God's character. It represented the power, the ability, the the faithfulness of the God that they served. And it told their story and their place in God's plan— It served to keep their memory fresh and keep the well-being of the people in front of those who led and ruled. It excited their imaginations and stirred their hearts to long for the things of God. The embodiment of God in architecture, art, drama, fashion, ritual, food— No small task. No wonder this took God's own design and God's spirit-filled people to complete the task. For such an undertaking, God would need the right people in place to oversee and complete it. Those with wisdom and knowledge, faithfulness and integrity. Surely God would entrust this holy assignment only to someone like Moses or one of his priests. But no, God ordained that it would require additional skills for this uncommon task—incredible artistic craftsmanship. And for the first time since hovering over the waters in the creation of the world, God's Spirit is invoked to fill these artisans with gifts and capacity beyond their own A supernatural partnering of God with his creation to make an aesthetic framework in which God's glory lived and dwelled. A structure of beauty for the formation of God's people. Wait, God called artists? Let's stop right there. God calls leaders and missionaries and prophets and assistants and kings and even mothers. But artists? nah. Yep. In the middle of the desert, in the middle of a time when God's people felt lost and confused, God called artists to lead. He raised up the wise-hearted ones. Woodworkers, metalworkers, jewelers, furniture makers, sculptors, embroiderers, seamstresses, tapestry makers, linen makers, curtain makers, builders, utensil makers, silversmiths, goldsmiths, lamp makers, oil makers, priests, to perform rituals, garment makers, engravers, accessory makers, makers of belts and waistbands, sashes and headbands, gem cutters, underwear makers, cooks, bread makers, perfumers, incense makers, winemakers, all of these were wise-hearted ones. Now, God could easily have instructed Moses to just choose whoever he thought were the most skilled craftsmen, or maybe even the ones with the most talent, the best hearts and the best equipped to lead and supervise others. He could have even said that those in charge were to go out and pick all the ones they thought were the most skillful and had good hearts. But God didn't do that. He specifically chose by name the people he wanted, the ones he had prepared since birth, the ones whose hearts and minds and actions reflected the kinds of people he wanted to build his tabernacle. So even though most of us have probably never heard of them, Bezalel and Oholiab. Share the company of Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Aaron. You know, when God calls by name in the Bible, he calls for a particular and holy purpose. Let that sink in. Named artists are included in the company of the giants of the faith. Artistic work is included in the master plan of God's activity with his people. And those names are significant. The name Bezalel means in the shadow of God or in the protection or the influence of God. And Oholiab's name means the Father God is my tent. (laughs) It might be a little hint in their names that they're calling to build the tent for the presence of the Most High God, to build a dwelling place for the Lord. And those whose names were not recorded in the Bible were called by heart There wasn't an audition or a selection process for all of the artisans who worked together on the tabernacle. The text says that the wise-hearted ones came forward and offered all they had to offer. They were the ones who responded to a personal calling sent out through an inner knowing, an inner sense of response to, to God's voice. Those whose hearts were tuned to God in this way responded as if they heard their own names being called, and it brought out the best they had to offer. Those who responded to this heart call were then blessed with even more of God's grace and even more artistic skill and knowledge in order that they would have the tools necessary to complete what God had in mind. If there was ever a testimony to what God intended for creative and artistic people, this is it. In and among the Israelites who had been held captive in Egypt were perhaps hundreds of skilled craftspeople who'd spent years training, learning, and practicing their craft now they were called upon and prepared to to work together to create something far beyond anything they had ever been asked to create in their daily lives. The years of hard work, preparation, and apprenticeship was now called on for this greater purpose, a purpose that they didn't know that they would have until that moment. To those who this call went out to who were wise-hearted, they were called to come and make all that God commanded. This term, wise heart, is found all over this story, and really all over the Bible. It's, in Hebrew, made up of two words, Hakmah, which means wisdom, and leb, which means heart. Chakmah leb. These words are used throughout the Bible to describe skill, but it's skill as in something that you know by heart, something you're so good at, it's a part of you. It means to have a, a deep wisdom about a particular area. In this context, the wise-heartedness corresponds to artistic and crafts work. So, it's, it's translated as highly skilled artisans or artists. Like the CSB version translates Exodus 35.10, let all the skilled artisans among you come and make everything the Lord commanded. I mean, that's pretty cool. Have you ever read your Bible and actually seen the word artist or artisan or craftsman there? I think that's an important thing to be able to see our name, in a sense, in the Bible? Unfortunately for generations of artists and makers, this significant story of calling has often been obscured by translation. I know for a lot of people that might just seem like a simple matter of semantics, but for the artist, it's a significant missing part of the story. The ESV uses the translation skillful craftsman for this skilled artisan, which most commentaries will tell you that. I mean, that's basically what that wise-hearted one, the Leb, means. It's skillful craftsman, But many more contemporary translations just simply use the word skilled, like the NIV. All who are skilled among you are to come and make everything the Lord has commanded which I guess is technically correct, but it doesn't do anything to help us uncover the significance of this special calling. And other translations like the RSV even seem to go out of the way to obscure the meaning entirely. They do it, and let every able able man among you come and make all the Lord has commanded. And that rendering of the text makes it sound as if anyone who's physically able participates in the work, but that's not the case at all. And further, it even limits the calling to men, which is clearly not the case according to the text. The heavy artistic contribution by women is repeatedly referred to, along with the emphasis of both men and women being called wise-hearted in this story. I think it is an important important thing for artists of the Christian faith to hear that the Bible affirms their call. So often, in my experience, artists have been treated as if they are selfish or stubborn for having a different perspective, having different needs or proclivities for worship, for asking too many questions or insisting on things that seem impractical— In some cases, they've been actively dissuaded from pursuing their natural callings in favor of doing something more practical or useful, becoming missionaries or pastors or children's ministers where their art gifts are happily used in service to the real mission of preaching the word or assisting in the alleviation of physical or emotional or mental needs. But here, at the very beginning of the Bible, we see a different intention from God—artists who were called to serve as artists, makers who were called to serve as makers, because the aesthetics mattered. The aesthetics were a means through which God spoke, made His presence known, formed, and discipled His people For me, this is profound. The aesthetics matter to God. I can't imagine a church business meeting where that perspective would win the day, but here it is, evidenced by the amount of detail listed. In fact, as I said before, more chapters, words, lines are given for the intricate detail of the tabernacle than for the law. Even fashion, including underwear, is given consideration— Not because God is an earthly king who needs to have his glory reflected back to himself, but because he knows how we as humans are formed. He knows how powerful aesthetic frameworks impact us and what it draws out of us and how easily distracted we are and how much we need to constantly be reminded of something higher and better than our own immediate needs and desires. So we can be affirmed as artists by this story. But there is a second lesson here for us as well. These skilled craftspeople, artists, artisans, were not only skilled, but they were wise-hearted in a more universal sense. Hakmat Leb can be simply translated as wise-hearted ones or those who are wise-hearted. And unmistakably, the skill that is being uh, conveyed there is, is connected to a deeper spirituality and, and wisdom. It's not just technical knowledge. Hakmat Leb implies that it's more than being skilled at something. It's about being faithful, or at the very least, we could say that these people had a desire to be faithful. In our modern context, we, we tend to think of the heart as valentines and feelings. But in the ancient wisdom tradition, the heart is not the emotional center of the body. It is the seat of deeper knowing, of deeper seeing, the part of you that knows Knows beyond intellectual knowledge or or just based desire. It's the centered place. The heart is the seat of wisdom. So those who are called to this task were connected to the deeper wisdom, were committed to following God, and gave all that they had, whether it was material goods or skilled craftsmanship, out of an an overflowing and cheerful heart. In fact, they gave so much, the scripture says, that twice the word had to be sent out for the people to stop giving. The materials, the jewels and gold and provisions for the temple were given in such an abundance that it just became overwhelming. There was too much amazing material to be used. Can you even imagine being in that place as an artist? When I read this story, So many conversations we Christians have about the arts just seem misguided. We may be reluctant to lean into the power of art and imagination, the sensory, but God certainly isn't. God knows we humans respond to what moves our hearts, not our heads. Our habits and character are shaped by our desires, not logic. Jesus was very clear on this when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God knew that his people needed a way to make the invisible presence of God visible. And through God's own design, an army of makers were called together in an art project of magnificent scope to make it possible for God's people to live in embodied closeness with God. It took the entire community of artists and craftspeople, leaders, administrators, teachers, patrons, all working together, men and women, under the leadership of two artists, Bezalel and Aholiab, to accomplish this task, to build this dwelling place for the Spirit of God. It's really difficult to read 11 chapters of Intricate instruction on everything from decoration and fashion to perfume and bread making and miss that aesthetics matter to God. It's a natural assumption then to say that artists and makers matter to God as well. And in this story of the wise-hearted ones, God calls highly skilled craftspeople by name and by heart to carry out his plan. These highly skilled, highly talented highly creative people were given a calling with as much purpose and intentionality and weight as any great warrior, leader, or administrator in the Bible. These wise-hearted ones were a forgotten priesthood of sorts whose prayers were physical acts of making, offered up to God for the good of the people." This significant moment marked not the character or specialness of the artists, but of the task to which they were called. The Wise Heart at One series from the VergeNow Now podcast is presented by Convergence, hosted and written by Lisa Cole Smith, with original music by Jay Smith and produced by me, Dan ABH. For more information on the Wisehearted Ones and Convergence, please visit www.vergenow.org. You can rate and review this episode on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Podbean, and many, many more.